0: Um, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, wherever wherever you are. Um, so we're going to have a chat today with someone who I think has an interesting story. We'll find out. Um, we're talking with Owen Flynn. We're going to be talking about ostensibly about the Kenyan beer scene, but mainly about how a man from Limerick ended up owning a brewery in Kenya. So um, I guess the first thing Owen is: did you did you go to Kenya? with the intention of setting up a brewery or did you end up in Kenya and then set up the brewery? I suppose that's the, that's the main question. Um, The latter. Uh, I was here
1: for five or six years before we started a, a brewery. So I have no excuse. I should have known a, what a bad idea it was, but I did it oh. anyway.
0: Well, that, that, that's not a good start, how What a bad idea it is. is it? So how did you end up there? I suppose it's a thing like you're from Limerick or just outside Limerick. So, how yeah did you I, I left i left ireland in
1: 2004 and um to to go and travel around the world i met my wife on my on my travels and we lived in new york for a while and then we lived in china and then we ended up in in kenya for a, a, a company called burn which makes energy efficient uh, charcoal stoves and yeah. so in China we were in manufacturing and, and, and here we were manufacturing. Um, my background really is always been manufacturing things. And uh, we kind of came to the conclusion that uh, Africa was really lacking in manufacturing. And we, you know, Africa has all of the raw materials in the world and they all get exported um, to other places. And the value add happens there. And then we pay triple to get anything back in and you know, finished goods back into into the continent so we kind of became manufacturing evangelists and um so the the brewery is technically the fourth company we started here with my wife and i so
0: okay um okay um so first i'll just say we have a few people watching i can see so do drop your name in or say hi or if you have any questions do drop them in there and we'll get to them um so yeah, I, I. So, after all those travels, you, you definitely didn't want to come back to Ireland, though. <laughs> um, so my
1: mother's in the chat. Obviously, she's got you. She's got you already, Brian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. to you, and when. I- it's funny because I'm the oldest of seven and five years ago we lived in seven different countries and now six of them are back in Ireland and I'm the last one, oh, uh, who is I not for So, um, the weather has been, it makes it hard. I think definitely. We're very settled here. We lived here for 11 years. Our kids born here and in school and everything try to get back once a year. Um, We'll have to see. But if we do go bankrupt, then that that's the fallback plan. Yeah.
0: You're a very positive person here with the bad ideas of the bankruptcy. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay. So, so Kenya it was, and that's home now. And um, what were the other businesses that you, you set up then that, that kind of led to the brewing? I suppose, like, well, how well, did...
1: So we were in making these um, energy-efficient cookstoves. And... Uh, in this kind of space they call social enterprise. Um, So like solar companies, microfinance, clean cook stoves, and all of this stuff. And uh, we were very kind of uh, excited about that whole thing. And, um, you know, my wife worked for a solar company and I was working for Bern. And uh, we just decided after uh, four or five years that uh, we wanted to still be in manufacturing, but we wanted to move away from the social enterprise space which is funded by a lot of grants and and that kind of dictates the, the nature of the business and we wanted to just kind of get into pure business and we wanted to keep on manufacturing things so we started just looking at what kind of products we as consumers in Nairobi wanted that weren't in the market and uh, so I originally started making kombucha um, so we st- ended up spinning a, a kombucha brand out of the kitchen here and um and that's still going and then my wife's when we had our first child she became really switched on to um this whole thing of non-toxic cleaning products and getting the kind of chemicals in cleaning products out out of your home especially when you have young children around she started making those at home and then we kind of spun that into a brand and then we thought okay kombucha and non-toxic cleaning products this is going to be kind of a slow burn in Kenya so what's a really easy way to make money beer (laughs) Um, uh, we both drink a lot of beer so we just kind of uh started making beer we we met um these two American brothers uh called Aram and Isaac who were home brewers and we kind of just um you know just started a new company with them and and uh, called it 254 and uh and then they ended up going back to the States. And, and then we hired, um, an an amazing brewmaster from America called Matt Walsh, who had been the head brewer of, um, a few big breweries or, you know, big craft breweries in America, modern times in San Diego, lost coast up in uh, Northern California and a few others, um, speakeasy ales in San Francisco. And so he came out in the middle of COVID and, um, and he kind of helped take us up to the next level. And, and then we then he, he moved on and then we got a German brewmaster who we have now. And um, the whole time we've had uh, a really awesome team of Kenyan brewers working under the different kind of brewmasters. So the idea is that um, now uh, the next stage will be for them to just, you know, be independent and that they are the brewmasters, basically.
0: Right. So there is there much of a... Is there a lot of home brewing going on in Kenya that you know, or is it that you had to bring these people in because the people weren't even familiar with home brewing, or is it just with the technicalities of kind of a larger brewing done?
1: Well, certainly not home brewing, um, barley based beers. Uh, mm-hmm. so there's like about 50 traditional beers in Kenya, um some are honey wines um there's palm wine on the coast made from coconuts um and there's various things made of millet uh bananas um so there is there is home brewing um but in terms of making lagers and ipas uh not so much there have been um two companies um on the market from when we arrived like in in 2012 Uh, one's called uh, Big Five Breweries and the other one's called Sierra. So they've been around for ages. They were more so brew pubs, um, whereas we were coming at it from more of the perspective of making a packaged product and putting it out into supermarkets and bars and stuff like that. But then we've ended up starting a couple of brew pubs as well.
0: Okay. So, yeah. So so just to come on the, I mean, you mentioned there the traditional beers. You're not, Going, if, if I look right, you're very deliberately not going down the traditional route. You're going with the, the barley, the malted barley, kind of Europe. Well, not, not I mean, we wouldn't go out, um, But
1: we like, so for example, we have a, a beer, it's actually our most popular beer with our Kenyan beer drinkers, which is called Muratatu, and it's a Belgian triple. Okay. And uh, in Kikuyu, the area where we brew the traditional. Uh, Kikuyu beer is called Muratina. And so Muratatu is a kind of, it's a Belgian triple. So in Swahili triple to say times three is Maratatu. And then the Muratina inspired kind of nature of it, we call it Muratatu. So it's a Belgian triple. Um, It's, you know, it doesn't have any honey or anything in it, but it has a similar flavor profile and a similar uh, alcohol strength to the traditional, Honey wine Maratina. And so that beer then ends up resonating more with uh, with Kikuyu drinkers. So we were kind of, uh, you know, beer agnostic. We, we started off making IPAs because there was none in the market. The, the two that I mentioned didn't really have any IPAs, certainly no real kind of um, West Coast, you know, super hoppy IPAs. And that was what we were kind of really excited to make. And then we started making lagers, and, and then we started making just everything. And uh, we've, we have we we still make a new beer every week, and okay. we just put that out in the bar and then see what people like. If people like it, we make more of it. And when we made the Belgian triple, it basically sold out in, in a weekend. So we just kept making more of it and developing it into a brand. So, um, but, uh, you, you know, we're not we, – we might – Start making traditional beers um, one day, but we don't actually know that much about it, so we right. need to kind of go, go to school
0: first. Right. So that that that's probably where you're you're having your your American and German brewmasters. They're bringing what they know, and then you're
1: the Americans definitely for the IPAs, and then the German. Now we're not letting him touch the IPAs, but his <laughs> lager skills are
0: um, are very good. So right. so then once you have the 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 other brewers. Trained up and like they're they, once they take over, that's probably when you'll maybe start introducing. Yeah, well, some they of already
1: do, they do recipe development already, and um, you know they they do everything. They do all of the work. Um, so the the main thing that we're just focused on now really is is getting the controls and documentation um, really really tight, and that's probably the last area where we're a little bit um, a little bit loose with the guys. So. That that's mostly what we're kind of focused on now before we go you know independent
0: yeah i guess i was wondering like when you went down the route of picking those type of beers was it because there was nothing else in the market like it that it gave you uh kind of a, you know gave you an advantage or at least a, a differentiating point or is it just just happen chance
1: yeah, it was just, you know, we hadn't really seen any any IPAs in the market or any kind of, like, craft beers in the way that we had seen them back in Ireland at that stage. Because, like, when I left Ireland, there was no craft beer. And then, you know, you're coming home, and the supermarket is, like, over half of its craft beer. So I think we just kind of assumed this was going to take over the world anyways. And uh, and why, you know, we will just get ahead of the, ahead of the yeah. curve, you know? So
0: I think I saw in an interview you're doing a, are you doing a nitro stout as well?
1: We do make a nitro stout, and uh, it's amazing. It's uh, you know it's funny that a lot of people don't know that Guinness is a nitro stout, and sometimes people think that we're trying to be hipsters and stuff by making nitro stout, (laughs) but we're just trying to make it a pint. You know, Um, something
0: familiar.
1: Yeah, it's it's really good, Um, and there's certainly been nothing like that anywhere near Nairobi, you know, since since we've been out here. So right. you can't beat like watching the rugby and drinking a nitro stout in the in the barn in in West yeah,
0: except then you're missing the rain. <laughs> we get plenty
1: of rain, but it just it we get all the rain out of its system in one go. We don't like
0: drip feed it, you know? <laughs> well no, that, yeah, that that, that is a difference, I suppose. So I'm um, yeah so sorry that yeah so I, I thought that guinness was very big in r- around africa generally it is
1: but it's it's uh it's a carbonated stout uh it's it's not on draft at all it's um okay. it's very fizzy and and the head kind of is it looks like a the head looks like a kind of like a lager head if you know what i mean as in the bubbles are foamy and they they dissipate quickly um and it's stronger as well. At 6.5% okay. so yeah, the, it's six and a half percent here. Yeah, it's called foreign export. It's a, it's a different, it's a different thing to what we
0: have at home. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how they they keep, like they, they keep the Guinness brand, but they seem to have yeah multiple different variations around the world, and nobody seems to know what they're drinking. Because <laughs> I, I, I mean yeah
1: yeah maybe that's why they never brought it out here because it might confuse people because the most you know what everyone's familiar with is a strong.
0: You know, sure. uh, stout that comes in a can. So, okay. okay. So, um, yeah. So, so let's go back then. So, what is the beer scene in in Kenya generally? Like, is it among any particular groups? Is it among kind of expats or among? Is there a different thing again among locals? Is there the traditional influences?
1: Now, Ken- Kenyans love their beer, um, but uh, there is a big monopoly on beer with. The Diageo. Uh, so, Diageo owns e- East Africa Breweries, um, and they control ninety-four percent of the beer market. Uh, oh. So, um, the two main brands are called Tusker and Whitecap, and uh, and they're kind of like uh, you get them for like two dollars a can in the supermarket, and like four dollars or euros in um, in bars. Um, uh, which would be like quite expensive for the majority, uh, uh, like for for 80% of Kenyans, and so the biggest, uh, so the biggest part of the cost in beer is tax. The tax on beer, the excise duty on beer in Kenya is 142 shillings, so like a uh, over a euro okay. uh, per liter, um, and and that's just the excise tax. So uh, in order to make beer affordable for the the um, the majority of the population, uh, Diageo and the Kenyan government created a a draft beer called Senator Keg, uh, which is is exempt or it's 90 percent exempt from the excise duty. And um, and so it's uh, that's that that is the biggest beer on the market. But to be honest, most people in Nairobi don't even know that it exists. Um, But outside of Nairobi, um, local bars would all have draft beer serving uh, senator keg which is a sorghum
0: sorghum beer yeah okay, okay so um, <clears throat> yeah so, so it seems to be like it's two different markets it's the Nairobi and the rest of Kenya
1: well Nairobi and then you know there's Mombasa and Kasumu and I mean there's middle class populations um, you know in like 40 cities around Kenya um, Nairobi is definitely the major metropolis um, but then there's just a um, huge portion of the population that that, that you know that are, are living in a in a much lower income bracket. So,
0: and is that the the um, fact that it that is controlled by Diageo? Is that why you had to go and set up a brew pub? Then in the end, even though it wasn't your your initial idea, why why about Diageo? I am wondering because they control all the distribution is that did you just have to set up the brew pub for you Did your I own? feel
1: that I need, yeah I needed to be rebellious and and um and make an alternative I I suppose there must have been some element of that um it wasn't really that I didn't actually even really realize um you know how kind of uh strong that the company really was here. You know, I mean, they, they, they've had a monopoly for a hundred years. I don't know when Diageo bought them. Maybe it was 20 years ago or something like that, but they're very, very competitive. You know, the, the South Africans tried to get into Kenya. There's a 10 year period called the beer wars where SAB, SAB Miller, and that's now AB and Bev, you know, the big brewery in South Africa tried to m- make headways into Kenya and, and left 10 years later with their tail between their legs. And, you know, uh, Carlsberg pulled out last year. Heineken are still here, but it, it's, it's, um, they're very, very embedded everywhere, you know, uh, you know, 94%. So vast majority of bars are very financially entangled with, with the ABL, which I didn't realize when I was getting into it. So I probably become more rebellious as it's gone on because, you know, I, I, like I, I, I've always been a consumer of Tusker and Whitecap, You know, I didn't, I wasn't really a beer snob. That was what I drank all the time. But, um, you know, as you kind of see the way they operate in the market, I think it is quite anti-competitive and, and I suppose that probably makes me want to poke the bear a little bit, but only so much because they might murder me in my sleep. But, um, but we, of course, we have you know. There's so many Irish connections with Diageo. We have lots of friends that work for Diageo, friends that work for ABL. They come to the bar. We we sell in the bar in Wesson's. We sell all the Diageo spirits, you know. Um, so we still hope that they'll buy us one day. So I'm not I'm not really that rebellious,
0: you know. So if anybody's watching, this is the flag. This is the sales pitch. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll just go back to your beers there because um, we just had a comment here. And so from Josephine, just wondering, out of all your beers, which is your favorite?
1: Well, I was just about to ask uh, Brian if you if you usually um, crack a beer on the podcast, but um, I do. I, but I,
0: she didn't have yeah. one with me, so I, I kind of I, forgot. I, I have
1: brought a couple of beers here, so this is actually this is my favorite. Is the session IPA? Um, so our main, our big selling IPA, seven percent, um, and this one is called Golden Rump. Where's my camera? Okay, yeah, we can see it. Backwards, yeah. Um, so that's what I'm that's what I'm having now. It's it's uh in my old age, you know, I've moved down in the A B V. So I used to drink the seven percent IPA and now it just kills me. So um I'm I'm a big fan of this.
0: Right. Yeah i found the same lately. It's you want to be able to to drink a couple because, like, you don't want to be drinking imperial stouts all night because you won't last, and then, like, right. I can't do the hangovers the next morning anymore.
1: No, and then then we our big selling beers is ten percent triple. So I mean, you can imagine um, this. Every bar we we sell in has a Muratatu story, you know.
0: Okay. So, so yeah, let's just start there. Your distribution—you mentioned every bar you sell in. So, are you selling in? You're selling in your own bars are you selling to other bars on draft or is it on? yeah we're in about um a hundred bars
1: in Nairobi maybe a hundred and thirty something like okay. that um and about ten of them are draft uh, but those would be mostly those would all be our our big sellers we we sell about eighty percent of our beer in in the top twenty bars you know so um and, and a lot of them are draft. It's quite hard to control draft beer in Kenya, in, I think in Africa in general. It's nowhere near as common as it would be back home, where it's obviously the default way to, to serve beer in, in trade. Um, uh, here would be you know, 99% bottles. And, uh, and then you would have seen the odd Heineken on draft, maybe. Tusker started bringing out draft a few years ago. Which is ironic, right? And then, as I was saying, the, the, the cheap beer for the mass market is all draft, you know, um, Senator keg. And it's actually part of the legal conditions. But uh, uh, tap systems into bar. Obviously, then we have to put in the tap systems um, in, in the bars. And, and, you know, you can't just sell kegs. So there's a bit more of a CapEx Uh, component to it and uh we found it very difficult with the gas the other thing that i learned the hard way is that like when you're in ireland and you get gas um you know for the for the bar um for the taps it's a it's a blend of of co2 and nitrogen and we can't get that blend here apparently it's it's i don't know don't ask me why you can't get it but you can't get it Um, And it costs a lot of money to get a machine that can actually blend them in a stable manner. So we're using pure CO2, which will then absorb into the beer uh, over time. And the beer will get foamier. So we've ended up having to develop a whole protocol of decompressing the kegs every night. Um, The bartenders have a whole kind of um, system that they follow so that the beer doesn't end up getting over carbonated after a couple of days and our beer is also unpasteurized and unfiltered so it needs to be kept cold all the time so if you leave it in uh at cold temperatures um under pressure it will absorb uh the co2
0: quite quickly so so that the, the temperature then i guess is also like you said apart from that i mean temperature just on keeping your beers fresh especially you know IPAs and that? Is that a big problem or does every bar does everybody have, have cooling systems? Just even for no, bottles.
1: But, uh, even, even with the bottles we almost always have to put in a fridge. It's not that they don't have a fridge um, it's that the only fridge they have is a DMDO EABL fridge and they're, they got that fridge with a contract that might allow them to use 10% of the fridge for non-EABL products. However, when you're Beers are in that fridge. They might end up getting, um, you know, pushed to the back of the bottom shelf that's behind the branding, um, and completely invisible, uh, you know, to to everybody. So you end up putting in your own fridges. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah, I
1: mean, it sounds an awful lot like
0: like the controlled beers have in Ireland. I I actually remember uh, that happened some time back, but it wasn't about beer, if I remember correctly. That they, they used to have the big problem in Ireland with them. Um, Ice creams, didn't they that the, the, they were all branded, and people couldn't put in their own ice creams. And then there the was a big thing about that years ago.
1: I um, uh, well, it is like that here. We just got Häagen-Dazs, and even Ben and Jerry's in the last few years have come in. But it's always in their own fr- freezer. Yeah, it's branded Ben and Jerry's, and you wouldn't see any other ice
0: cream in there. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, it's yeah. I mean, it's not the sort of thing if you're outside the tray that you think like you know. You think a fridge is a fridge, and that's it. You can put whatever, but you never think about how it's used or, to, you know, it's the same as the taps or signage or whatever they're they're providing. There's always a there's always a catch on the whole thing. Um, so we, we'll just stay on your beer here because Josephine has another question. She wants to know what's your bestseller.
1: Good question, Josephine. Um, we are um, so overall. Um, across you know our own bars and the supermarkets and and uh, trade in Nairobi, Sandtrap, the IPA is our still our top seller. Niaje the lager comes in number two, and Muratatu comes in uh, number three. But in Kikuyu in the brewery, it goes Muratatu, 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 then Sandtrap. Um So um, the you know pretty much the more expat the clientele gets the more it shifts to the ipa the more kenyan it gets the more shifts towards the belgian triple and then everybody's drinking lager so lager it's kind of across the board
0: right yeah and okay i think you've answered my question there was if there was a split between yeah different types of people or different you know different groups on on the beer that they like so do you have to like if you're in all these bars are you also in shops and things like that supermarkets yeah
1: yeah we're in like all the major supermarkets care for is the big supermarket here um and then uh the two local brands that we're in are called chandarana and Nivus. um not in every branch around the country but um all of the Nairobi branches
0: and then some of the, some of the upcountry branches as we call them. And does that, I'm wondering how you're marketing this. Are you like, are, are you putting a lot into marketing in there or are you just getting it on? And because you're one of the few that are outside, you know, that aren't the the Diageo ones that people give you a try or do you have to spend we, a lot of marketing or? Well, good question. Um, we,
1: we mostly only focus on Nairobi And then our sales outside of Nairobi are just mostly where there's already a latent demand. So at the coast, uh, the Kenyan coast, we have a bit of demand there. And then a few of the kind of um, the other uh, B cities around Kenya, uh, there's a bit of demand there. So we don't really, um, you know, probably in terms of the craft beer market, across Kenya 80 to 90 percent of that market would be in Nairobi so and the beer has to be transported cold which is also a challenge Uh, so we all of our marketing efforts are on Nairobi for sure
0: what's the population of Nairobi I should have asked you this get an idea of the market size. I think
1: it's it's between four and five million. Um it, it was it was always three to four when we came and I think people say four to five now. It's four in my head, but it, it's around that,
0: yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's substantial. I mean that there's enough there that if you you know it, it's a big enough city that you don't have to worry about all the hassle of trying to trying to fight the IGO out in the out in the countryside. Uh, no, you, no you wouldn't you wouldn't win that battle out there. No. Right. Um yeah, so we're like you mentioned tax as well. Tax sounded, if I understood right, a big problem there. But the well, tax-
1: you know, I think globally there's a recession going on, and Kenya definitely there is. The Kenyan shillings been sliding a lot um, for the last year. We had elections last year. Um, you know, uh, the economy always kind of freaks out a little bit when there's elections. Um, the international community tends to freak out a little bit. So. Um, we got through the elections quite peacefully, relatively speaking. And uh, and so there's a new administration in power. Um, and, uh, well, it just remains to be seen how they handle it, basically. But um, it, it's a tough, it, it, you know, everyone's getting squeezed. The, the, the Kenyan shillings getting weaker. We're, we're, you know, we're making beer with uh, German malt and, and uh, you know, American hops, Costs are all in in euros and dollars, um, so so they've all gone up, um, and uh, the tax just keeps going up. You know, um, you know, just when I, it was hundred when I started, now it's hundred and forty-two. You know, it, it it the finance bills coming next month. We're dreading what they're going to do because it's already so high. I, I don't know what it is in Ireland actually, uh, but I always reference America because the tax the one forty-two, the you know the dollar dollar ten. Um, per liter here, if I convert it to gallons and look at the federal tax in America, it's about 40 times higher here, the tax that we have. So I know that only Finland in Europe has a higher tax on beer than Kenya does. And uh, and the purchasing power in Kenya is not what it is in Finland. So we're actually trying to lobby with the government as, as kind of challenging and a long-term as problem as that is. But uh, per unit of alcohol spirits you know beer is taxed at three and a half times higher of a rate than spirits uh, in kenya so nice. it's it, it i think it's a it's a thing where the government it became and like diageo is the highest taxpayer in kenya eabl is the highest taxpayer in kenya and i don't know how many countries the highest taxpayer um would be a beer produced um so it it has become the beer kind of was kind of treated as a tax over the last 50 60 years and and it was always just a very you know in in, uh, the uh, you know beer today in in the bar is, is you know 400 shillings in in like 1995 it was like six shillings you know um so so for kenyans it's been a massive change over the years yeah there's been inflation and stuff like that but but mostly it's just been you know um beer is, is kind of treated as an as an easy way to to tax. I, I suppose like cigarettes are you know like everything yeah
0: that's what I was thinking like is it it doesn't sound like it's any part of a kind of a an anti alcohol you know reduction platform it's just purely about getting money. Well the current
1: administration is very anti alcohol funnily enough um and that's a bit of a new thing and they're very Christian. Um and I always try and explain to people here like you know like the irish played a big role in bringing christianity to kenya and we're all alcoholics especially the priests so um something got really lost in translation there um but christianity in kenya is highly correlated with um teetotaling and you know uh, the alcohol kind of being blamed for all of societal's um society's problems but um the, the reality of what's happening is that the high tax on beers like lager craft beer or whatever is just pushing people to cheaper you know um spirits the country is flooded with knockoff spirits um over 50 percent of the spirits in kenya are, are outside of the tax bracket you know they they don't pay any tax at all so You know, if the government would take a long term view, we think it would it's actually a slam dunk argument. But the at the moment, the government's taking a very short term view, which is that we need to get more revenue in the coffers. The goal, the mandate that the president gave his to to the Kenya Revenue Authority when he came in was double the tax revenue. Like uh, we, we need to go from two to four, like we need double the amount of money in. The door so nothing's going down um but, bec- but because of also the rising costs you know it's just you you're definitely stuck between a rock and a hard place but then you know you look at also um maybe getting more into making traditional beers um and and, uh, and and not importing your wrong ingredients and stuff like that so yeah we just have to deal with the cards as as we're dealt them, basically
0: What's their position on kind of you know on export supporting export? Because or is there any chance at all that you export? We so but well with the non-toxic
1: cleaning products, um, that's my wife's uh main business, is um that we see that as a big export play. And you know, um I think as much as we have been really die hard on manufacturing is we're 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 very I, I think that you can see now is the more you get into it, like you need to be manufacturing for exports as well. Um, uh, whereas we've always been kind of focused on like developing domestic brands. The beer doesn't really travel well, you know, it needs to be kept cold all the time. It's not really set up for, for tr- uh, transport. We we're, we're exporting. We export about a pallet a month at the moment to Rwanda. Um okay. Uh, randomly uh, just kind of thing just just um, came about and we have thought about regional export a little bit more i think in the in the coming years one of the goals would be to make a more shelf stable uh beer that didn't need to be refrigerated all the time and put it in cans and
0: sell small volumes in the capital cities around east africa pretty much and is the would there be support for that from the government? Do you think, or is it just something you have to do? So you have to well, that excise
1: duty. Is fine. If you don't, uh, you when you when you export, you you don't pay any excise duty, so that's good. Um, but then Rwanda has a sixty percent import duty on the beer, so it it nets out basically. We haven't looked at all the other markets. Um, I'm sure we could get a few. Actually, a few, at least a few cases up to Ireland. Now that I think about it, that just dropping the excise would cover the the shipping costs for sure. H- how much is um the import duty on beer in Ireland?
0: I couldn't tell you what the import is, but um, I I couldn't tell you what it would be from Kenya. Um, yeah. <laughs> not a clue. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we're probably, not less, than, probably less than your ex- excise, though, from the sound of it. I think it's definitely less than excise. Hopefully,
1: it's less than 60%. So, yeah, I
0: mean, like,
1: why would you, why would we be exporting IPAs and laggers to Europe and America? You know, um, it it wouldn't really be on the radar. But I do think that there's so much interesting um, stuff going on. There's so many interesting different kinds of um, grains and botanicals and yeasts in all these traditional beers that there just hasn't been a lot of, um, uh, research on them and development on them. I, I think there could be an amazing, amazing beer somewhere in there um, yeah. that could be that could actually be for export and take the world by storm. Muratina, um, the the honey wine that I mentioned, which is um, inspired our Belgian triple, actually not only it doesn't need to be refrigerated, it actually goes bad if you put it in the fridge. All
0: right. You'd have to warn people about that, though.
1: <laughs> well, I know, right? But it's just—it's just very interesting, like the the microbiology that's going on. It's—you it's, know—it's totally different. Yeah. Um, so here yeah, no, we no. are, killing to keep the beer cold all over the country, and then you have a traditional beer that literally, you know, can't go in the fridge. It's—it's it's made for
0: the exact uh, transport system that we have. You know. Yeah, no, I—I I think you're right. though. If you. There is more interest. I mean, I, at least maybe it's only a small niche because of the people I'm talking to in that, but there is a lot more interest growing in things like traditional beers like Saisons and um, mm-hmm. sour beers, and like you said, yeasts and, and grains as well. Like, you know, I'm talking to people about heritage grains. So your your sorghum beers probably have a, there probably would be an interest in Europe, not yeah. the States as well, because you can't get that. But yeah, it probably doesn't make sense to just ship yet another IPA. You know, it's just yeah yeah no we wouldn't do that um that'd be the last thing yeah yeah um we just got another question here um jack he wants to know sustainability what and that's um what what is the situation in kenya is it all in bottles or cans on on we don't do cans we made another um
1: very bad economic decision um but a very pro-environmental decision Jack, I'm happy to inform you. The bottles are all recycled. Um, it, in trade, they're all recycled. Um, and actually, it's interesting. Coca-Cola and, and Diageo used to have the biggest, most efficient uh, recycling glass recycling s- system in the world in East Africa. And, you know, no one talked about it um, as an environmental initiative. Before they moved to cans, the average Tusker bottle was used 25 times. If you can imagine yes. that, um, so Kenya's always had this infrastructure for recycling glass, and um, and there's all kinds of interesting stories as well, like in the beer wars in in when the South Africans were trying to come in, and the KBL, the ABL guys would go and smash the empty bottles because, you know, the in fact the the business models. Uh, rely on recycling. And so we, we set up to rely on recycling um, economically from the beginning. So when we make a bottle of beer, the biggest cost is tax, then it's glass, then it's liquid.
0: And how, is, Li- how are they?
1: Is distant third. And that's incl- that's con- including the fact that we're importing all the raw materials, you know. Right. But our challenge unfortunately now is a retail because the supermarkets since Diageo moved oh, uh, from recycled glass to one-way glass and and mostly to cans. Um, the supermarkets immediately stopped um, and, and Coca-Cola moved all to, um, to plastic.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and it's just funny, these big corporations now, they're all talking about the green initiatives and the green this and that. And I'm like, you're talking about this at the same time you used to sell everything in a country of 50 million people in glass and re- and recycle it 25 times. It's so good. Um, and you, you're, you're talking about your, your social initiatives while you move to PET, which is basically impossible to degrade, you know, and recycle. Um, so it's a, it's a tragedy, but, um, good news. Jack is that uh, we are two five four and Bilashaka, our friends in Bilashaka are these are the only recycled bottles now
0: today in Kenya. So all right. Well then that's a, Jack, that's another reason to, to go search the boat now. <laughs> but yeah, so so the whole infrastructure of recycling has just been slowly dismantled. Uh, this, the, there, in, in,
1: um well for us as Nairobi residents, um there is much more recycling services now than there was 10 years ago when we came here. So right. we, like where we live in our neighborhood here, we have um, a recycling company called Takataka Taka that comes once a week and they take everything. I think everything except batteries, they sort through it. It all gets recycled. Um, so, so on that side, you know, that that didn't exist before, but on the corporate side, it's the opposite like it used to be all recycled glass and now it's cans uh, cans for beer and plastic
0: for right. for soda. Uh, what's the average kind of so do those bottles do they come back to you? I guess? or is there a, is there an existing system that just go into and you don't you just get new bottles instead of the? Fish? Uh, we have
1: um, we have uh, from so from trade from like from bars, restaurants and hotels, We get 100% back. We put an 18-shilling bottle deposit on the bottles, and that is more than enough motivation, um, and and all those bottles come back. But uh, with supermarkets, um, Chandrana at least um, does allow recycling. Carefor prohibits recycling. Um, So there's another big corporate, um, you know, the big French um, supermarket Mm -hmm. chain, Carefor. They prohibit. If you tried to bring your empty bottles back to the supermarket, uh, they will not accept them. Uh, so, um, we work with another recycling company here called Bottle Logistics, which is um, uh, collects our bottles from all over the city, and they collect all kinds of waste from all over the city, and they um, they then wash and sanitize, and then sell them back to us okay. so, um, and th- so and so and then even the bottles that we get from trade they also go to bottle logistics and they just sanitize them for us so we we pay them a certain price for the bottles they collect and clean and then a lower price for
0: the bottles that we collect and then they just clean them okay that uh, somewhere fits into your 18, 18, um shilling deposit roughly. Yeah, roughly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, we've another question here. We've got lots of questions. Why did you name your, I won't try and pronounce it because I pronounce it wrong, your lager?
1: Niaje, um, that's a good question. Um, well, we had a long, long long, story with lager development. I'd say we've made 30 different laggers or different iterations of, of our lager. We, we only have one lager. Um, we started off with a lager called Caribre, It was a hoppy lager, um, maybe a bit like a Hop House 13 kind of a thing. It was, it was hoppier than that. But uh, um, we found that the market actually didn't really uh, resonate with that. Then we ended up um, releasing an Asian lager, which we called uh Hao, which we thought we were very clever because, uh, you know, in in uh in china where we used to live you know the um the an asian style of lager would use rice um you know supplement the barley make it lighter more crisp kind of thing so rice is actually indigenous to kenya and in in shang which is kind of swahili english um, lingo um you will say ni hao meaning like how's it you know um mm. And so we called it Ni Hao, and uh, we thought we were very clever about this. And then we got no end of kind of complaints um, from differing ends of the political spectrum, and we found that it was too controversial. Um, so we went to a hundred percent malt lager, and then Niage is a kind of it's another. Shang greeting similar to Ni Hao, and we kind of just went. So the the evolution of it was like we were like Ni Hao at the Asian Lager, and then Niage is just like a pure Kenyan Lager, just pure malt. Um, so Niage means like what's up? Okay, okay. It's a long story. <laughs> I go way longer, Brian. I'm you know this is the
0: edited version of me. <laughs> right. So I'm. Um... Yeah, I was, I was gonna ask, so you started off. You were saying with the intention purely of just dis- distributing the beer, and then you set up the pub mm-hmm. just as an afterthought. Has that made a big difference to you in terms of, like, you're now producing you're producing a beer a week. Do you think you wouldn't have been able to do that if you were just doing distribution? We, we, we would
1: have actually. We were doing that anyways because we originally started with a thing called Beer Club. So we we started off. We were just brewing. Um, in the back of the house, and um, we start we kind of crowdfunded the uh, the first round of of brewing. we we signed up a hundred people that paid about around three hundred dollars um, for for 12 weeks of beer. And so that was our first miniature raise was was thirty thousand dollars. and we use that to buy some equipment and some bottles and and uh employ a couple of people and everything and so we were delivering beer to, uh, to to people's homes and um and that was when we were you know uh developing our our flagship uh brands you know we didn't have any any recipes or brands at the time so we were just mostly making ipas and we used to put the the bottles all had a little uh, tag on the top, like a little rubber band and a kind of a mini Christmas card. And it had a little feedback form inside it. And so we, you you know, people at all prepaid and you'd get a six pack every week and um, very raw very fresh beer and then people just kind of told us what they liked and didn't like and we kind of developed the beer on that and then as we got better at making beer that was when we started making different styles and then when matt came in you know he had just he could make anything on 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 earth and so we were always in that mentality and and beer club still goes today um so it was more more the timing of things Uh, you know kenya is um as i said the monopoly in the 94%, it's very difficult to get a license. Uh, when we got our license, that was the eighth license issued in a hundred years. And um, it took two years to do it. And that already nearly killed me. And, uh, and I thought I was going to be killed by, you know, various, um, various players in the market um, and, and uh, uh, throughout that time. And anyways, we got the license and uh, it's a long arduous process and and then we launched and we launched uh, the business in February 2020 and uh, so we had one glorious month of bars being open and at the time I actually told the sales team like no retail, um, we're just focusing purely on bars. That your Bars is where it's at, that's where you build a beer brand and then obviously all the bars shut down. So in the way that the laws and the curfews were in Kenya in 2020, um, uh, breweries were allowed to be open, um, so we were allowed to continue manufacturing and um, retail outlets were open. We were we were only able to sell our beers in supermarkets and um, through like uh, Uber Eats and uh, the equivalent, you know, e-commerce um, platforms here and. Uh, But we could also sell retail at the brewery. So you could come to the brewery and buy a six-pack, you know, um, retail. And so uh, there's a car park in front of our our brewery. And uh, about six months into COVID, October 2020 was when the first ban on bars was lifted here. And then it was subsequently reintroduced but in october 2020 october november maybe it was the end of october uh by then the car park in front of the brewery had already kind of become a bar on a friday the car park was full and people would come out of their cars and walk up to the brewery and buy like two bottles and then go back to their car and sit in their car and drink and i won't comment on the drinking and driving culture in kenyan how everybody got home but anyways um uh it was just it had kind of become became a um a, a known spot in our area we we also brewed just outside of nairobi in a town called kikuyu and you know um uh it's cool to have a brewery there and uh so when the bars reopened and also at that time we were very desperate for cash and you know any kind of way to stay alive so we just immediately the day the bars opened we were like yes we are about. we so before covid we hadn't had a but we had taps in there we had um you know some tables and stuff like that stools and stuff but we had never we had no uh bar staff or you know servers or bar manager or stock controllers or any of the things that i now know are important F- uh, features of running a bar and i was just like telling you know everyone just like now tonight we're all bartenders and you know collect cash and Anyways, we've learned a few lessons, but that that was kind of how it came. And then we were, it was because of beer club that we were in the mentality of just making new beer every week. And then we started putting the new beers out in the bar and we started getting just much, much better um, uh, feedback in terms of uh, beer club is like, it was about 99% um, expats, you know, and then the bar at the brewery is about 99% um, local Kenyan Kikuyu nairobi resident so um so then 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 that was started the the, the kind of i would say of our beers that the, the the expats kind of drove the um the ipa development and kenyans have driven the uh the other beers the, the the lager and the the belgian triple and and the other stuff that we've done has been driven by by kenyan consumers yeah okay so
0: i'm going to take from that that a bar license is not a big problem there
1: no, very easy. Lots of bars, yeah. No issue yeah, with
0: that. Brewery, but you you can sell it, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Just the opposite to Ireland, so pretty much. Is it? Yeah, can... yeah, 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 yeah. You think not license, but, uh, but hmm. breweries I think are pretty easy to set up now, or, or at least relatively. So yeah, yeah. it's um... yeah. So so you were. Let me go back just a tiny bit. See if I understood this. So you set up because this crowdfunding thing is is interesting like you set it up before i presume you you'd brewed something to give people a bit of a taste of as to what they might be getting
1: yeah yeah. no i mean we were it took two years we were um you know we were brewing um very small scale um and the way that the kenyan law works is that you know you kind of you're allowed to brew a certain amount as you know to to test your equipment and to submit samples for you know and and so it's it's taking two years but uh, but we certainly couldn't sell you know um outside of the friend network and we couldn't sell in bars and supermarkets and um and so
0: on you know right but you could just yeah so you could just sell to people um Okay, we're going to have another. Looks like Jack's got another um, question on on your bottles. Are there any plans to extend the 18 shilling deposit currently to what's this? On beer sold on trade to beer Ooh. pushed off trade. I'm not sure. I fully understand? Off trade he means he means retail.
1: Um, is is that's um, uh, how we talk about it here. Um, well jack you can be my new head of um sustainability um anyways um we we do try um and i can check um we have I mean, so chandran so if you care about sustainability um and buying uh 2 for 4 beer go to chandrana because those bottles do have deposits and can get recycled um and uh, and then I believe I have to check with the e-commerce ones which ones are are recycling. But we, we'll post it. Um, I'll, I'll post uh, a summary on on Twitter or something next week um, on that because it's a good question. I always do like to drive people to the the channels. It's much. It's in our own economic interest, um, you know. But uh, but Careford just flat out re- refused. Nice. We're not the only company trying to lobby them to to recycle. You know the water company. I, I know
0: other companies companies are too so i'm um, listening i've had you for an hour so I'll, I'll let you go soon um but where do you think it's where do you think one the beer scene in kenya is going and then second i suppose where are you going are you are you following it or leading it or where do you think two five sorry before we before you answer that where did the, the name two five four come from
1: Well, there's one if you want a long story a short story, but um two five four is the is the calling code of Kenya. Oh, all right, okay. Um well, it's like three five three for Ireland. Um and uh well one day we'd we'd had a few a few beers um and uh, and we kind of noticed that well the two and the five makes a bottle. I don't know if you can see that or if we're in what the two and the five makes a bottle and the four makes a pint glass. Uh, so All that, right. was, that was um, that was us again thinking that it was meant to be 254 Brewing Co. So okay. um, in terms of the market, where it's going and, and what our role in it is, I think that's probably the best thing about being a small company in uh, a market that is um controlled by a monopoly is that as much as it may be hard to make headway you'd be amazed how much attention they do pay to what you're doing and i think that we are we already have moved the needle in in a number of ways um in terms of um uh the way we talk about beer you, you know we 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 always said in the beginning uh you know um craft, you know, what, what language do you use? You call it craft beer, independent beer, you know, this and that. We, we always talk about fresh beer, fresh beer being, you know, unpasteurized, unfiltered. Um, so, you know, so probiotic basically. Um, now I see all the Tusker, the Diageo draft things all go out saying the freshest beer in Kenya, you know, now, of course, you could say maybe it's nothing to do with us, but you, you notice these things like you you definitely notice, you um, uh the the big corporates the way that they kind of respond and 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 react to you so how we would like to move the needle is going back to those traditional beers um there they are effectively outlawed in kenya brian like i couldn't believe it and i had no clue until i actually became a brewer um and and i started learning more about the traditional beers but they basically have um, laws that go back to colonial times um, on traditional beers. And um, it actually reminded me of like history books in Ireland when I looked at a Maratina license, which is so it's licensed and it says that you are, you know, that this product is safe for human consumption. It's a government county license. It's exact same as my license to make IPAs and laggers. And this traditional brewing license on the back of it, it says, you cannot brand your product. You cannot sell your product in retail. You cannot sell your product in any um, a bar, restaurant or hotel. And you cannot have gatherings at your brewery, um, which, you know, there's no there's no logic for that. Only that it's designed by a monopoly to suppress um, traditional brewers. And so we do try to actually bring that up anytime we're on the media and stuff like that here we always talk about it and it's a funny thing because like I would say 99 to 100% of Kenyans would agree that it shouldn't be kind of controlled and then there's a lot of misinformation about the traditional beers people have been kind of been convinced that they make people go blind and, and kill people and stuff like that which has never happened um, and uh and so um so so I would hope my hope for the development of the craft beer scene in Kenya would be it would really open up to the diversity of all these traditional um, traditional drinks, you know, um, which would be really amazing. And and th- if they were all kind of developed, um, I mean, honestly, I do think export products would come and I think there'd be, you know, all kinds of interesting things that the outside world would uh, would tune into uh, so so that's what what we hope and then for us we kind of just we we our aspiration for beer is just to, to grow it to a you know a, a a big enough size that it's kind of um sustainable uh, and and basically gets enough of a foothold in the market it 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 still be very very tiny you're talking about maybe getting like uh one to two percent market share out of a country of 50 million people um but um yeah for me it's it's to like to sell the business maybe in five years or or to exit in some way and 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 start some more companies um would would love to do like more high-tech manufacturing things like um you know um batteries or semiconductors or you know um something like that so i I, my started off life as an electronic engineer so maybe i'll return um but it's really these days it's day to day you know it's it's week to week and month to month and just keeping uh the wheels on in in 2023 It's turned out to be a much more challenging year than 2020 or 2021 really you know um economically here um and so and we kind of expect that to carry on through 2024 and our our goal is like to um just stay alive to 25 that's it
0: right. well yeah two years sounds sounds reasonable um,
1: Yeah, we will we will um but yeah so that, so so we're not really thinking a whole lot about beyond that but um we'll when we do get there we have you know we'd like
0: to do more more fun stuff yeah okay so sorry I just I'm gonna go off in the stream because it sounded like we were finished up. But the, the thing about the traditional beers, so if you wanted to brew something that was a traditional beer, you have to get another new license. Well, that's a good question.
1: Um I've always kind of because there is all this stuff around traditional beers, I I've never really wanted to co-opt it. And and um and I think it would be very ironic if after all of this hundred years of suppression of these traditional beers if a foreigner was the first one to actually make decent money out of them. So I kind of stay out of that arena for that matter. And I more kind of, um, weigh my voice in when it comes up. Um, but I think what we would do, what we'd be interested in doing would be a a kind of fusions of like when I was down in South Africa last month, the winner of the African beer, um, Uh, the african beer cup like for uh, out of all the categories was this kind of um you know barrel aged uh sour that you know was put thrown in these grape uh wine barrels and you know so that's obviously wine country down in cape town and and kind of riffing off of the the beer and the grapes and those two different worlds so i think it'd be really fun to just develop new things that take inspiration from those traditional beers. But I don't know if we'd get into making the traditional beers as, as they are in your state. We could, there's like this there's 10,000 brewers here doing it, but they can't make any money off it, you know? Right. Cause they can't sell it. They, they could also be all be taxpayers, you know? Yeah. So.
0: And, and something like that, I mean, you would imagine is a big tourism thing because it's something that you can't get anywhere else that people will come. Yeah, and...
1: it would, I think it would be huge. Actually, I think it would be huge. So I'd love to see those
0: things be celebrated. You know, Um well, hopefully. So. Listen, yeah, I am go we'll... because you've been you've been very good in time. Does anybody have any questions now before we we finish up? We have a greeting from South Africa. All right, I'm not sure who, and um what's up, yeah. South Africa? All right, and... Let's see, you got you got two new
1: countries on your. Um, on your podcast, anyways, That's
0: Brian. Yeah, I think it's the first Kenyan. All right, um, South Africa. I've had um, a PUA from from down there on before. All right. Oh, one second. We we do have one more question. Have you any counterfeit issues? Considering it's the sec- seemingly it's the second most counterfeited item in Kenya. Uh,
1: alcohol is like if you asked the about that. My God, you would that amazing counterfeits um it's another great question jack um i i i have not seen that um with my former company burn we had um i remember when counterfeits hit the market and they were unbelievable they were so realistic we could barely tell the packaging apart um and they were they were coming in from china and then they were going to somalia and everything um so when you reach a point of counterfeit you have to take that as a milestone for your company um and we will take it as a great compliment the day that i see fake 254s out in the market but i have not seen that we are still pretty small relative to this but as as i'm looking at jack's comment here um you know um i think the bottles being washed in cario Bangi is the recycling uh company you can check that they're called bottle logistics Um, I would not put it past anyone to, you know, fill a 254 bottle up with something, some garbage and put a cap on it. Um, You can always check your excise sticker um, at the top of the bottle. And I think you can scan it to check its authenticity. So um, I would look for that uh, for for all the tax we do pay. We have I think that is a fairly decent um, guarantee
0: of authenticity. All right, all right. Well, listen. Um, I think that's. I think that's it. It's been been fascinating. I had no idea about Kenya either. so it's a new one to me. And um, well, come visit can...
1: sometime. Uh, country, we love it here. So, um, and thanks for thanks for the call, Brian. Um, enjoy the chat a lot, and best of luck with the podcast. Hope it. Uh, hope you become the next Joe Rogan of Ireland.
0: You know, <laughs> that's it. Uh, I'd be I'd be starting off bringing all the um, all the conspiracy people to, to the front. The beer mm-hmm. conspiracy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: When you've got beer conspiracy, just bring me back on. I'll tell you all about
0: it. So where you go to... Uh, your mother wants to know when you're coming back again. <laughs> Is she really? No. <laughs> uh, hi, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> Not all right. a bit. Yeah. All right. Cheers, all Brian. Right, thanks, everybody. I'll just finish this... Um, And so, thanks again to to Owen. It was a great chat and I really enjoyed it. So, hopefully, you'll join us again for another chat. Um, Don't know who's next, but hopefully, we'll have someone next week. Um, Looking forward to it. Thanks again, Owen. Bye. All right.